It's Eye on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. I am real estate. It's Stephen Ebert, real estate attorney with Barton, and my colleague Ace Watana Supar from Citizens Bank. Right before the break, uh, Ace was telling us how the bank is looking at investment properties, whether you're acquiring it or refinancing it. And, and you know, I was curious. You know, we're talking about some of the different trends on the commercial side, but on the residential side, you know, we have seasonal leases, right? We have some folks who maybe were in the Hamptons over the summer. We have people using Airbnb, which is starting to come back after taking a little bit of a hiatus with, due to COVID. How does the bank look at uh, tenants who have a year-long lease or a multi-year lease versus seasonal tenants or really you know, Airbnb where things are constantly in flux? How, do, how does the bank look at that? Yeah, so Airbnb in some states, it's not legal. So if they have an Airbnb rental, um, we won't be able to utilize that income, Stephen. But again, short-term rentals are a little bit more riskier than long-term rentals. So the, the bank does take into account to see how long you've had the seasonal rental for, what the average rent has been. And you have to have at least two years of rental history, regardless if it's seasonal or long-term. But I can tell you that a long-term rental will always be more advantageous to the bank than seasonal rental because seasonally, sometimes you may have renters during that season, sometimes you don't. But if you have a consistent seasonal rental property and it's a, um, it's a high, and, and there's a lot of factors, right? Underwriters in today's marketplace will do a lot more research, <laughs> believe it or not, Stephen. Stephen, so they'll look at the marketplace, they'll see if the um, the seasonal rental is in demand or not. And they'll do a lot of behind-the-scenes um, research um, to really see, you know, how how consistent that seasonal rental is, if that makes any sense. So, sure, that makes a lot of sense. And are there some like classic errors that you're going to see from, you know, from some of the landlords? You know, how do they sort of document payments? Um, you know, does it make a difference if they maybe own the property in their individual name? but they have those tenants paying it to a separate corporation or LLC. How, how does that all weigh in? Are they making some mistakes there? Yeah, so that's a great question, right? And a loaded question to you, Stephen. So um, with with landlords that have their companies under a different LLC, you know, it has to show up in your tax returns as an LLC or, you know, what we, what we um, like to see is Schedule E. Um, so as long as it's stated on the Schedule E that it is your property and that you do own that corporation, we can account that rental income. However, you know, most landlords um, that have Airbnb, some of them um, handwrite their, um, their payments and they manually put it into a log. And some don't report the Airbnb income on their tax returns. So if you don't report the income and you do it manually and, and you're not – 
and, and you're not accounting accounting for the income, but you tell but you're telling the bank that this is how much you've received last season, then unfortunately we're not able to count that income. So any any income that you receive from a rental property must be reported, and um, you have to at least um, establish it to your history on your tax returns, right? So if you don't report it and you don't account for it, then it never happened. So let's say now I've been doing it the wrong way for a while. Yeah. I'm sorry? So let's say I'm doing it the wrong way for a while. What do I need to do, and really what's the lead time? So if, let's say, I I approach you and say, I want to refinance, okay, I didn't do it right, what's sort of um, the plan, like about how many years do I have to sort of plan for it and maybe make some changes so that way I can meet guidelines? Yeah, unfortunately, it's two years, Stephen, right? So if if you've been doing it the wrong way and you haven't been reporting the income, you know, I wish I had a better answer, but it's going to take you two years to build up that, you know, what we call credit, but not really credit, that income um, so, so that the banks can can um, see that rental history. And unfortunately, it's going to take two years. Um, so. Yeah, no, and look, we got we got to tell them what 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 it is, and I think it's yeah, you know important exactly. that people realize, yeah, that they it's all about planning, and you you sort of you can't get it both ways. You can't have credit for it when you're getting a mortgage, but maybe have a a, a lower tax liability, um, and so this is really important that you know you 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 reach out to the professionals. I think, and I, and I think a lot of people make the mistake is that they view real estate is very transactional. I'm going to give Ace a call when I need my mortgage, only that day, as opposed to being in touch and, and getting some advice and saying, here's how you should handle your real estate portfolio so that when you do make that call, they can actually get the loan done for you so you know you're doing it the right way from the beginning. That is so um, key, Stephen, because preparation is key. And to your point, um, Stephen, you hit on something that's really, really important, right? It's almost like an attorney as well. You don't want to see an attorney while while you're while you're signing contracts, right? You want to see an attorney before, so he can prepare you, really tell you the the nuances on what you need to be looking for when looking for a home. And it's the same thing on the financing side. You know, you should be um, engaging with a loan officer or a banker months before and that's why it's so important to do a pre-approval before you even start the home search because it'll allow you the ability to work on your credit if there was something that that needed to be done on your credit and that takes some time that takes about two to three months to to repair your credit score um if you needed to uh, you know take care of your down payment some people would get a gift in cash and that's not allowed so knowing you know the you know, what's what's required and what's standard um, as a down payment gift is important. Um, so there's so many different factors that you should know before going into a transaction. And you want to allow you, yourself enough time to get yourself situated so that when you are ready to pull the trigger, you have everything in line. Perfect. Thank you. So speaking of that, let's take a look at some of the market data that we're getting um, to see what's going on if, you know, when people are looking at other transactions. Uh, in Manhattan, we're seeing that new signed contracts for all different property types um, have, ex- have gone up 
And in fact, single-family homes are actually at a, selling at a higher level than they were the prior year. Co-ops are starting to go up, and then also new condo contracts um, are below prior year levels. And what's interesting in this report, it sort of falls in line with people really thinking about uh, differences in space, um, but also at the same time, a lot of the new construction that you see is in the form of condominiums. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing a slowdown in you know, the condominium area because you have some of these newer buildings. They were behind on maybe getting construction done and getting permits done. And also the price points are a little bit different. And the actual consumer um, that's looking to buy that property is a little bit different. So this kind of fits into the story that we're seeing. Are, are you seeing that play out? in the mortgage applications that you're seeing is sort of the mix between single family or two family versus co-op versus condo. Are you seeing it's being a little bit different than maybe in years past? Yeah, a lot different now, right? So you're seeing a lot more single family homes and two family homes um, in terms of the transactions, uh, much more than we've seen in the past, especially in New York City where it's predominantly co-op and condo, but we're seeing a tremendous amount of one family and two-family transactions, for sure. Great. Now, now, coming out over to Brooklyn, we're seeing that also new signed contracts for the combination of all property types continue to narrow the gap from the same month a year ago. So single-family, again, led the way, just like we're seeing in Manhattan, just like we're seeing in the mortgage area, and they're actually higher than prior levels. Um, Co-ops are fairly neutral with a drop of a decline, and again, the big laggard is the condominium um, new signed contracts, and that sort of fits in to the same story. But as we go further east and we go further out uh, into the Hamptons, we really see a real change over there. That's really more of a single-family market, not so much in the condo or co-op market, and we're seeing that new signed contracts are about double um, from what they were a year ago. Um, and again, we're seeing the same concept in the North Fork of Long Island as well. But I think also, and, and tell me what you're seeing here, I, I think we had a big blip up, and that seems to be uh, leveling out. Um, are you seeing that also in the applications? You know, I'm curious at the mix always of how much are people applying for mortgage for a purchase versus for a refinance uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, this year it's been um, really, really, uh, the story has been refinances, right? Everybody has been refinancing their mortgages because rates are at all-time low, and people have seen appreciation rates in their properties. But uh, what I can tell you, uh, we started the show, um, you know, we just tracked purchases for the month of October, and it's up 14% from last year uh, at the same time of uh, 2019 in October. So the good news is that the trend is there's a lot more purchase activity. Um, but again, refinances have been the story for 2020. You know, everybody has been uh, refinancing their, their mortgages, and that's why it's been such a robust year for, for every single bank out there. And that's why you're seeing capacity issues with banks and turn times. Um, if you're looking to refinance a mortgage in today's environment, you're probably looking at 90 days. Um, but Again, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you lock in a good rate, you give your documentation to the banks, and eventually you'll close. Uh, but there's been a tremendous volume in refinances, Stephen, and purchase activity. 
uh, like I said, going into the new year, um, definitely great momentum as we see a lot more folks looking in the suburbs, you know, looking at different, um, different areas. And, um, you know, because rates are so low, we're seeing a huge, huge demand and inventory is still pretty scarce. Um, so you're seeing a lot of activity in terms of, um, and the millennial buyers, um, I forgot to mention, they're older now. One of the um, older millennials are actually at the age of 38, you know, starting families. They're married, they have kids, and they're looking for that first home. So a tremendous, tremendous demographics in terms of first home time buyers, and they're making up about 65% of the buyers today in the marketplace. You know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that trend. I think that is not talked about enough. And it's interesting because so many times people have talked about, well, there's maybe a general generation shift in what people value. Um, but yet we're seeing a big bump up. And what's very interesting that we're seeing on some transactions, and if you could maybe touch on a little bit, is tr- selling real estate as a gifting moving strategy. What we're seeing is that parents now, maybe they've changed their timeline due to COVID, but what they're saying is, you know what, I'm planning to maybe move to a different place geographically, maybe a townhouse or a condo from the single family house, maybe they're downsizing. And instead of putting it on the market, we've had a number of transactions where they're transferring it to their own kids and they've had the benefit of owning this property for a long time. So what they're able to do is use a bit of a gifting, a hybrid sale gifting strategy. So what they can do is they can make it a more comfortable payment for their kids. Um, so, you know, they're, they're selling it, they're getting some money, and that's helping them move to maybe a lower cost area. But at the same time, they're gifting some equity. So that way their kids are able to acquire that property at a lower cost with a more manageable payment so those kids can actually stay in the same neighborhood where they grew up in. Um, if, if you want to maybe talk about how the bank looks at family members giving gifts of equity and how that plays into the mortgage process and getting approved. Hey, see you there? Steven, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Can you repeat that yes. question one more time, Steve? I lost sure, of it course. for a second there. Of course, no problem. If you can talk a little bit about the use of a gifting strategy to really transfer real estate. You know, we're seeing a number of parents who are looking to maybe downsize, and instead of really putting it out on the market, they're actually transferring ownership to their kids so that way their kids can actually be in the same neighborhood that they grew up in, but at the same time, the kids are able to get a smaller mortgage so it's a little bit more manageable and it's sort of a way to have a a wealth transfer and they're using sort of gifts of equity because they've had the house for so long and it appreciated as part of that strategy how does the bank look at that and how does that work with financing with that gift of equity as long as it's an arm's length transaction right meaning that the price that um, the parents are giving to the kids are not not so below market value, that's number one, that they are tra- um, tra- trading hands with, um, with, their, with their kids um, at market value, and they have the ability to give a gift of equity, right? So the gift of equity um, will be transferred to, let's say, the kids that are buying the property, and as long as the kids qualify, 
um, after the gift of equity of, let's just say, the house is a million dollars and they want to give the, give a gift of equity of 300000 they can as long as the kids can qualify for the $700,000 mortgage. But uh, like I said, as long as it's an arm's length transaction and um, the parents are able to to give the gift of equity, that's that's commonly done um, in, in today's marketplace. It's been done for years and years already, and it's the best way to sort of, um, you know, to your point, Stephen, to be able to to, to give um, your kids, you know, something of value um, without really, um, and, and, and you're doing it the right way, right? Changing of title, um, kids are actually able to buy for less um, where they don't have to put as much down payment. And, um, you know, the mortgage amount that they're financing will be less as well. So, And I think it's a, it's a great time. I mean, I think it's, you, you can, it's all about that monthly payment. We talked about it beforehand, and what we're seeing is a real unique confluence of events where you have a little bit of negotiability. I'm not seeing any fire sales anywhere. And, and as you pointed out, you know, you're seeing appreciation. But you combine that, a little bit of negotiability, depending upon where it is, with um, improved rates, it, it makes for a winning combination. Although I do want to touch on something you said earlier in the show, um, I may have a slight disagreement with you on, the, I think, the timing of rates. I'm a little bit less optimistic um, about rates staying low. I hope I'm wrong. I absolutely hope I'm wrong. But, you know, my fear is at some point, you know, we're going to have to pay the piper, so to speak. You know, we're, we're, we're spending a lot. We have a bit of increasing debt. And, you know, my concern is that, you know, rates are going to move up. And I'm curious if there are any signals that – we can tell our listeners that are looking or what are some of the warning signs that, hey, these low rates might move? And does the adjustable rate versus the fixed rate pricing, does one sort of move faster than another? And that's sort of like the warning sign that, hey, these rates might be moving. Yeah, there's a couple of different factors, um, Stephen, right? Um, the fact that the Federal Reserve, um, they've been artificially buying mortgage-backed securities and keeping interest rates low. If they decide next year that they no longer want to um, purchase these mortgage-backed securities, then, of course, that demand or that that relief that we're getting from the government, um, it's going to directly correlate to the interest rates. And without that purchase, that large purchase, rates will go up slightly, right? That's a, that's a, a factor that you want to look at or stay close to. Number two. Um, if the economy starts to recover in a faster pace um, than what you know what um, you know what the Federal Reserve will do is they'll look at the the uh, recovery period and if signs look good, then what's going to happen to the interest rates? It's going to tick a little bit higher. So there's a couple of different factors that will really play into rates um, increasing. And you know what, Stephen, I don't disagree with you at all. Nobody has a crystal ball here. But, um, you know, from what we see, from where we, where we see um, our, our economy, I, I think because of the pandemic, it's, it's put us back, you know, a couple, I would say a couple of fiscal years. And, and I think, you know, any signs of an increase in rate uh, will take a little bit longer now because of the pandemic. So. Great. We'll be back after the break for more of the Iron Real Estate.
Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different medical metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. Planning for the future is important. Are you and your family protected? If you're not around to make the decisions, who will? Are your assets protected from probate and nursing home costs? The time to plan is now. Need a will, trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, estate plan. The goal of Connors and Sullivan's attorneys is always the protection of your rights and interests. They've been helping people like you and me plan their estates and protect their families for 40 years. Talk with Mike Connors in a free, comprehensive telephone conversation consultation to see how he can help you protect your family your assets and your legacy have all your questions answered from the security of your home during these difficult times the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all now is not the time to put it off call connors and sullivan today to schedule a free telephone consultation with mike connors himself 718-238-6500 718-238-6500 or visit connorsandsullivan.com here are the facts. Your business needs leads and sales. There are potential customers online right now looking for what you do. Will they find you or your competitor? You need Salem Surround. Having to do your own digital marketing while trying to manage your business, well, there's just not enough time in the day. You need Salem Surround. You're doing all you can to market your business, but are you sure you have the right strategy or seeing a great return on investment? You need Salem Surround. The marketing team here at Salem Surround is ready to help your business now. We'll design a plan that targets potential customers with proven marketing strategies, using everything in our toolkit to work for you. Digital, audio, mobile, even audience-engaging contests and promotions. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundnewyork.com surroundnewyork.com connecting you with new customers it's i on real estate got a question call 866-970-9622 here's douglas elements ceo Dottie herman Welcome back to Iron Real Estate. It's Stephen Ebert here for your legal questions. Ace Watana Supar from Citizens Bank for your mortgage questions. And Ace, I think we have a caller. Ace? Yes, yes I believe we have Rosalie on the line. Rosalie? <laughs> yes, good morning. I'm sorry, I woke up with a cold this morning. Uh, I have two questions. The first is, what is the process to either purchase an investment property or refinance an investment property into an LLC? Sure. So let me, we'll tackle it from both the legal and the financing side. So 
for the purposes of an LLC, an LLC, for people who are not aware, it's a limited liability company. It's a business entity. And what we would need to do is to create an entity, um, which we can do very quickly. Um, New York has a very efficient process for that. And then what happens is we want to set some limitations to make sure that the bank is happy with it. And this is very important. When you form a company, as a matter of law, it can do anything. But the bank wants to make sure it's limited for the real estate, so we'd make sure it would fit with that. And then it really just talks about who are the people who are owning the LLC. And then really, um, the bank would take the lead on it, and they would look at really the economics and their underwriting. So I'll hand it over to Ace to answer the rest of that. Ace? Ace? We lose you. Sorry, Stephen. I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties, but um, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we hear you now. All right, Stephen. So basically, you're right. You know, with an LLC, there's different forms of LLCs, and making sure that you speak to the bank prior to creating that LLC will be very important because there's something called irrevocable and revocable trust, right? So you want to make sure that you do create an LLC that's a revocable trust. And make sure that the beneficiary or the trustee, for that matter, um, is the right person that can assign the ability to actually refinance the mortgage as well. Sometimes if you're just the beneficiary and you don't have a trustee to sign off on the ability to refinance, you may run into issues um, during the process. So when do you start? So let's say, um, let's say you have an investor property now. And it's currently uh, owned under, uh, like a couple, uh, under their personal name. So you refinance. So at what point do you tell the lender that you want to refinance it using an LLC versus the couple's name? But in the LLC, it is the same couple. Right. So that's something you'd want to do at the outset. And this is what's very important. A refinance is a great time to update what's called the title, the ownership, and transfer from individual names to the LLC. And um, so that that is a great time to do that. And I would tell them up front, because some banks have policies where they'll lend to an LLC, and some will have policies where they won't. So it's really important to know up front. But if the bank is willing to lend to an LLC, and there are banks that do that, so that's absolutely very doable. Then what would happen, and you know, as we both said, is we'd want to coordinate with the bank up front, make sure that we have everything approved and to their liking, so that way when we have your closing, we'd have the additional documents of a deed transfer to then effectuate that. And I want to also further clarify one last point that, that, that Ace was mentioning about trust. So an LLC is a business entity, and it can be owned by you individually, but also what some people do for estate planning purposes is actually they could have a trust own the interest in the LLC. So I don't want to overcomplicate it, but it is very important if you do have a trust instead of a person owning your membership interest, your ownership interest in the LLC, that it generally be a revocable trust because for legal reasons, um, banks have an issue um, with irrevocable trust because of foreclosure. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but okay. there, there are some good reasons for it. So basically, 
Um, it can be done. The way to start the process is make sure you're talking to a bank that will finance LLCs and a loan officer who has done it. Because what I've seen is they don't realize some of the nuances, and then you have to refile and redo things, and that will add to the cost. Um, okay. Ace, is there any limitations on citizens, outside of making sure the paperwork is done correctly, but conceptually, citizens will be glad to lend to an LLC and they'll work with them? Correct. Um, we don't have any limitations on LLCs. However, uh, we do want to make sure that the verbiage on the LLC is is is, is what we will allow. So if you want, you can leave your name with the producers, and I will get in touch with you on Monday, and then we'll also loop in Stephen as, you know, he'll help structure that LLC for us as well. Okay. And I have one more question. Um, in New York City, can you run down a basement uh, as an Airbnb versus, like, like a typical market rental? Well, I mean, because basements sure. in New York City are illegal to rent. So, but can you do it under an Airbnb? So let me, sure, let me give a little bit of background on basements for a second, and then generally, and then I'll get into Airbnbs specifically. So you want to be very, very careful with basements because even if they are finished to some degree, it will vary property by property if you're allowed to have a bedroom down in that area or not. And be very careful for people who are looking to buy a home about basements because if it's finished, They'll count that in the total square footage of the house, but that's because it has a finished look and it's counted in the total square footage. does not automatically mean that um, you can actually make it a living space. Now, when it comes to an Airbnb, um, it should meet the same requirements as if it was a regular rental. So the proper way is that it should be an area that can have legally its own bedroom um, if you're going to use it for Airbnb. The you, Whether you have a long-term or a short-term lease doesn't change the legal status of the area, that portion of the house. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a wonderful weekend. Okay, you too. Thank you. Steven, I also believe we have another caller on the line. Um, we have, I'm checking now, Ellen from New Hampton, New York. Um, yes, hi. Your show is terrific. Can you hear me? Thanks, Am I on? We, we yes, can. Thanks, Ellen. Um, I'm learning so much. It's really informative. So here's my situation. Um, I work for a global publishing company, and I've been there about 15 years or so. Uh, right before the pandemic, our company moved from the Chelsea area, 14th and 8th downtown to Liberty Street. And actually, one of our biggest customers, uh, pretty much at the same time before the pandemic, moved from Wall Street to Hudson Yards. And our office is closed through at least January, and we're all working remotely and the customer I mentioned is also working virtually, and so many of us are continuing to work from home if possible because we're worried about a second wave. So I'm just kind of curious, um, how is this working from home situation affecting all the real estate deals you're working on? Um, are companies reevaluating their real estate needs, and what do you think the future is going to hold in New York? 
That, that's that's a great question, and you know, I wouldn't even say it's the million dollar question; it's a billion dollar question uh, on that. I, I think let me break that down into a couple of uh, components. One, what does that mean for the office commercial world, and then what does that mean for the residential world in which neighborhoods? Let, let me start with the commercial world. Um, right now, I think businesses are reevaluating their space needs. But that is a, that's really a double-pronged question. I think businesses are realizing that there is a value to having people coming into the office. There is also a certain energy that's there. And also, it affects really organizations. Um, for example, how do we bring the next generation of leaders in any organization, if they're working out of their parents' basement remotely, People really don't know each other and exchange ideas. And sure, there are platforms like Zoom that's helpful, but, it, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a Band-Aid than a full solution. So what we're seeing is businesses reimagine their space more than abandoning their space. And I think we had a period in which they were trying to consolidate space, like you would see office trends, where the space allocated on a per square foot for an employee has been shrinking. And I think what you're going to see now is more of a dynamic workspace where people are splitting their week up, where they're a couple of days in and some from home. And you're going to see a little bit more of swing space coming in where maybe there are multiple users in an area, which also fits well with the technology, right? Computing has evolved much more. You can remote log in going in spaces, and that has worked with people as opposed to, you know, your my computer at my desk model. So I think you're going to see changes in needs. I think you're going to also see tenants be a little bit more, uh, be a little choosier with landlords, making sure that they have better technology, security, better ventilation to make sure that things are in order. And this ties to the next trend and concern. There are a lot of new laws in the last few years about data security and privacy. One of the stories in my mind that has been underreported is the data security risk for businesses and consumers that having workers working remotely. And it's a little bit dangerous there. I know we have a commercial break, so we've talked about the commercial, but we'll talk about the residential market right when we come back from the break. Hey, Joe on the radio, you've heard me talking about the Wounded Warrior Project and the amazing things they're doing for our country's veterans. They are huge advocates for our nation's finest, improving the lives of millions of warriors and their families. I'm so proud to partner with them. I've made it my personal goal to help 400 warriors between now and Veterans Day. What do you say? Let's do this. There are so many that need our help. Let's see what we could do to help just 400 of them. These warriors have already paid their dues on the battlefield, so they never pay a penny for Wounded Warrior Project's programs. I'm asking for 
anything you can spare for the men and women who make it possible for us to live in this great country. $50 can provide mental health and counseling services to one warrior, but we appreciate whatever you can give. $5, 10 bucks, 25 bucks. It all makes a difference, you know? So please, if you can, find it in your hearts. This is the least we could do for our men and women who put their lives on the line and give us the freedoms that we have. 800-900-4997. 800-900-4997. Or go online, please, to helpwarriors.org. The spread of COVID-19 is still unchecked across the nation, and you need to keep your family safe. Make a new habit and check your temperatures twice a day, once before dinner and before leaving home in the morning. You can't afford to take chances, so use the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Its accuracy is backed by more than 80 clinical studies, and it takes an accurate reading in seconds. It's the only home thermometer used and recommended by hospitals, doctors, and nurses. Quick and easy to use, you can count on Exergen to keep your family safe 24 hours a day. I'm Valerie Smaldone. I have a show that gives you a break from politics because it's something completely different. It's called Bagels and Broadway. This Sunday, find out about the concert Broadway celebrates Veterans Day, honoring our veterans. Also, Richard Skipper talks about his new talk show on Facebook. And hear about a new way to enjoy restaurant food at home with the just-launched platform, Mies. Plus, small business expert and floral designer Nick Fatos of Starbright Floral Design returns. Bagels and Broadway with Valerie Smaldone. Now Sundays at 2 p.m. Hey, it's Joe Piscopo. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Bed Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial because my schedule is like crazy. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza Sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza Sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You will receive two sets for one low price plus free shipping. 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970 or go to MyPillow.com. Please be sure to use that promo code AM970. Two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. 800-651-0798. Promo code AM970. 70. It's I on real estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to I on real estate. I'm attorney Stephen Ebert. I'm here with my colleague and mortgage guru, Ace Watana Supar from Citizens Bank. Just before the break, we were just covering a question about remote access. And again, you know, what we're seeing in the commercial office market is businesses are there. We're actually even seeing some, but at a lower level, even new leasing activity. But I think it's really the story is businesses figuring out how to right-size and reimagine space. But it's important to remember, and there's concerns with a lot of these businesses, of security. If they're letting people work from home, how safe and secure is the data flow? How also consistent and predictable and uninterrupted are the workforce? So there are definitely some challenges there. What we are seeing is that consumers are asking more questions. Not only are they looking for a house with good light and in a nice neighborhood, but how strong is the Internet access? How strong is the mobile cell coverage? So those are questions and factors that people are considering, and that's part of a new level of due diligence and inquiry that people are having. 
Um, thanks so much for that question. And I think, Ace, we have another question online. Ace? Yes, Stephen. Um, I believe we have another caller. I'm just checking the the call log right now. Vincent from New Jersey. Good morning. Good morning, Vincent. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I, I, go ahead. I've got the question if you want it. It's about a, I have a lot. It's a valuable lot. But my bank doesn't give construction loans or loans on lots. What kind of a bank and what kind of interest rates would I expect if I was trying to get a loan on a vacant lot? Hello? Ace, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. I don't know if Ace, have you heard uh, Vincent? I didn't. Yeah. Vin- Yes, I'm so sorry, Vincent. I'm just having a hard time hearing. Can can you repeat the question? Yeah. I have a vacant lot, valuable, about a million dollars. I have a small mortgage left on it. The house that was on it had to be taken down. Anyway, uh, I'd like to get a loan on a vacant lot. And my bank doesn't do construction loans or loans on vacant lots. What would be a good bank, and what would I expect as a rate to get a loan on a vacant lot? Definitely, Vincent. So here at Citizens Bank, I can't really talk to other banks, but I do know our guidelines here at Citizens Bank. Uh, we do lend on vacant lots, although you would have to um, build a home on that vacant lot. So we can lend um, you money on the vacant lot, but you would have to build at the same time. And it's called a construction to perm. If you're looking to for just a standalone um, purchase on the lot and you're looking for financing, I can give you a couple of folks that I may that I may know um, that will lend on the land um, portion of it but if you wanted a construction to perm um, type of mortgage then that's something that we have here at Citizens Bank so it really depends on what your needs are Vincent so well right now I was just trying to get some cash to uh, you know uh, purchase yeah there's a lot of good things going on in Jersey City here yeah, not a problem, Vincent. I mean, if you're looking to purchase something um, that's just land in particular and it's, it, and it's a standalone, um, then I can give you a couple of uh, folks that will lend on just the land purchase alone. If you want to leave your, your name and number with the producers, I'll definitely get back to you and, and give you that information. And what kind of rates do they usually go? That I don't know. Um, I can't speak to because, um, again, we don't lend on just land purchases uh, or financing. But um, but I can find out, and um, and I'll forward you that information as well over to you on Monday. Yeah, my name with the people. All right. Thank you very much. Enjoying the show so far. Of thank course, Mister. Definitely. Oh, thank thanks you. for calling. You're welcome. So I so Ace, I know we're coming near the end for today, but there's one other question I see that was sent in that I want to address before we get to, I guess, you know, predictions or upcoming uh, topics to end the show, is we had a homeowner come in, and they were in contract to sell their co-op apartment. And unfortunately, the co-op turned down the buyer. And this is, unfortunately, a risk. It's not often where co-op deals get turned down, but the board does have that right. And they want to know about what they can do. The first thing I want to mention is that co-ops have the legal right to turn down a buyer for any reason 
no reason, good reason, bad reason, except they cannot be discriminatory. They cannot violate fair housing rules. And there's sort of a, an information quandary that people have. How do we know why the co-op board turned down the buyer if they don't exactly tell us? And sometimes the boards will, and sometimes they won't. So number one, I would recommend, and if I'm a seller's attorney, and the co-op board turned down our buyer, my first question is to really talk to the client and to our real estate agent and put together a strategy to follow up with the management company and or the co-op board if we have a connection there to first find out what happened. And then based on what happened, trying to get that answer. Now, there are some new laws over the last couple of years in Suffolk County and Westchester County in which if co-op boards turn down a transaction, they do have to report that to the government authorities. They don't have to say why just yet. There is no such law at this time, although it's been kicked around a little bit about different uh, governments. New York City has talked about doing that, but they haven't taken action yet. But I also want to be careful because you have to tie this back to the contract. We have a situation, and we've had this before, where a buyer changes their mind and maybe they don't want to go through with a transaction, and they think the way to get out of it is to get turned down by the board, so they go in and they behave badly so they know the co-op board will turn them down. If that's the reason why it happened in your case, then we have a different situation, because under a typical contract, a buyer has to apply in good faith, and if they're turned down in good faith, they get their money back, but if they go in and try to ruin the interview on purpose to get out of the deal, you can make a claim to keep that deposit because you've been damaged. So the key thing right now with that board turned down is to get as much information as you can um, before taking any actions. Um, Ace, I know we're running near the end. Any parting thoughts or things on your mind as we think about the weekend and next week in the industry? Well, I just, um, I don't know if it's a recent, you know, I guess a news alert here, but Joe Biden just won as the, um, I believe, the 46th president of the United States. It's, it's been confirmed. Um, so, oh. you know, that, that just came in uh, live. He just won Pennsylvania. So uh, I know it's not a political show, but uh, just thought, um, you know, I, I know the whole nation was on, was, was waiting for the results, but... Um, we'll see what happens in the in the next coming week. I'm sure the markets will be, um, you know, will be an interesting market uh, as we go into next week, uh, Stephen. But, you know, look, any parting words for our audience today? I think, obviously, we're we're a real estate show. So if you're looking and you're thinking about purchasing or you own a home, um, really, there's no better time. You know, I can't emphasize enough. I think this year, 2020. There's been a lot of um, just it, – it's been a unique year, uh, to say the least, with COVID, uh, the pandemic. But one of the bright spots in real estate has been the low interest rate environment. And I just want to emphasize to all of our listeners, if you haven't taken advantage, just do yourself a favor. Call Stephen. Uh, speak with an attorney um, if you're looking to purchase. You know, call myself if you're looking to refinance. But, you know, information is, is powerful, right, and, and knowing – is half the battle. And, you know, I think um, for folks that have taken advantage of the low rates, um, they've saved thousands and thousands of dollars long-term. And it's just something that you should do for yourself. You know, take the time 
um, to really look at your documentation, look at your uh, mortgage statements, and see if this is a great time for you to go ahead and refinance or even uh, tap into some of that equity and take take a little bit of cash out and pay off some of your other debts that have a higher interest rate, um, you know, cost. Um, so, but that's, that's, that's what I'll leave our audience with is, you know, really, really take the time to, to educate yourself, you know, listen to our show and engage, engage with us. You know, we love myself, Steve and Dottie. We love to hear from you, you know, so the more that you guys call in, the more that this show becomes that much more powerful and informative. So, um, don't just have myself and Steven talk for the whole two hours. You know, we look forward to hearing from you next week. Hopefully Dottie will be back and, um, you know, slowly we're going to help build this community, you know, one week at a time, Steven. So. That definitely great, great parting words. You know, I, I think you made a great point on it that you don't know where you're going till you've turned that corner. And for those folks, you know, it's interesting. It comes up. I want to sort of wait and see, um, what's going on. Well, once you see what's going on, maybe those interest rates are a lot higher. And I personally think that now that we've gotten past the election day cycle and, you know, just taking a look that there are some differences between the two parties that could lead to some policy changes and how things are working. So I think it's a good inflection point to really think about, okay, I want to focus on my business and what I mean by my business, whether it's investing or my home, and saying, okay, what are the right and smart steps that I should be taking to put myself in the best position? You know, I can foresee with some leadership changes, some changes to tax policy. Um, one of the things that happened a couple of years ago when there were tax changes, state and local income tax write-offs with limitations, so maybe some of those things might change and improve. But we'll talk more about it and make our predictions. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. This has been Eye on Real Estate. Thank you. Thank you. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.